Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources. Last month, my sister brought an article on Kratom published on BuzzFeed News to my attention. It turns out there's a growing grassroots movement of former drug users who use Kratom to curb opioid cravings and quit using. And it's become very popular. In fact, there's a large online community that's developed and that talks about this stuff and talks about how well it works, how cheap it is, how safe. And it's an all-natural alternative to opioids. So, but there's a lot of unknowns, like what are the long-term effects? And is it going to be banned at some point by the FDA? Here to shed some light on all of those unknowns and educate all of us a little bit on Kratom and this user community is the author of that article. And the article was named, it was titled, Meet the Kratom Warriors Who Say, this plant will end the opioid epidemic. So joining me today to offer her insight on the topic is Azine Gureshi. Azine, welcome. Thanks for having me. Okay. So you've investigated and reported on Kratom um, quite extensively. So let's get to the, let's start with the heart of this. Why is it so popular and why is it still not on people's radar screen? Right. So um, Kratom is uh, just to sort of set up what it is in the first place because most people haven't heard of it. Um, it's, a, it's a tall, skinny tree in the coffee family. Um, it's uh, indigenous to Southeast Asia, so countries like Indonesia, Thailand, um, Malaysia. And um, at low doses, um, Kratom acts as sort of a mild stimulant. You know, people compare it to coffee. It, it gives sort of a mood boost um, and a, a bit of like energy pep. Um, but what people have discovered is that at higher doses, um, Kratom actually has analgesic effects. So um, it decreases pain. Um, and it turns out, as some pharmacological studies have shown, that's because some of the uh, alkaloids that are present in Kratom in the plant um, actually plug into the mu opioid receptor, which is the same, the very same receptor that drugs such as morphine and heroin uh, plug into. Um, so it sort of has this dual effect um, that's made it very popular for a long time, uh, for hundreds of years actually, in, in Southeast Asia, um, but hasn't really ever, um, or it's unclear when, when it sort of came stateside to the U.S. Um, over the last, I would say, four or five years, however, um, it has gained popularity in the U.S., um, and that has been, it seems, largely um, among two populations of people. One, uh, people who are struggling with chronic pain um, and, and you know, as are having um, their prescription opioids, you know, cut off or decreased by, by doctors who are coming under increased scrutiny for their prescribing practices, um, and two, uh, among um, former opioid addicts. Um, and obviously there, there could be overlap between those two groups, but um, people who are 
you know, very explicitly using Kratom um, as a way to self-treat um, their substance use disorder. Courtney True, the Kratom user that was featured in the BuzzFeed article, shared with us how she got started. Um, we're splitting the prescription of Suboxone, and I'm working with a 12-step fellowship. I'm doing, you know, what we call sponsorship, and I'm working steps. And I'm starting to get um, spiritually better. I'm starting to feel better about all aspects of my life from doing a lot of things that would give you self-awareness. So I started thinking, I wonder what life would be like without the Suboxone. And in the fall of 2016, I started trying to taper off, trying to taper off, and just I could not get off of it. No matter how low and how slow I tapered, I was still really, really, really sick. And I happened to see this thing when I'm kind of, you know, I'm sitting at the kitchen table, not not happy at all, feeling really sick, but not wanting to take the bots on anymore. And it flashed across my newsfeed on Facebook, this little, it was an ad for Kratom. And I thought, you know, what in the world is that? So I start doing a little research and I find very little information. So what I did find was a smoke shop in Portland, 20 minutes from me, that sold Kratom. The reason why it's effective for both of those groups of people seems to come from um, this, the, the fact that it does plug into to that mu opioid receptor. But that the fact that it does that is also why now that there are sort of a growing number of people who are using it for this purpose, um, the fact that it plugs into that receptor is why the FDA is now and the DEA are now uh, sort of calling a, a lot of attention to the fact that, you know, we don't actually know whether Kratom is safe. Um, and there have been, over the last um, two years, multiple calls to potentially schedule Kratom um, alongside drugs like heroin um, because its abuse potential is unknown. Um, so there, there, it's really, um, the DEA, you know, in 2016 said that they were going to um, sort of emergency schedule Kratom because there had sort of been a growing number of people who um, were using it and a growing number of calls to poison control centers um, with, with people presenting with um, various symptoms in, in emergency rooms. It's still a pretty low number. It was something like um, 260 people in the year 2015 had called into poison control centers with complaints. Um, but the DEA, it sort of had been on the DEA's radar, and this sort of was um, a route for them to say, you know, Kratom is a public health hazard. Uh, we need to emergency schedule this. I asked Josh Bloom, who is the Director of Chemical and Pharmaceutical Sciences at the American Council on Science and Health in New York City, I asked him to comment on the safety of Kratom. Why should they take caution? Well, it's got a, uh, 40 or so chemical compounds in there that hit a number of different receptors in the brain, and um, <clears throat> it's, well, let me just put it this way. This would never make it through the FDA as a drug. Why is that? Because these um, the the, act, the the chemicals in it uh, would have to be all tested individually and make sure it was safe. So um, it's it, it's a it's a drug which is being sold as a supplement in vitamin stores. It just doesn't make any sense. So this in fact, not uh, vitamin B. Yeah, interestingly or, enough, it's it seems to be more readily available in head shops and things like that. 
and vaping stores than it is in your local GNC. Well, it is now, and that's where it belongs. But uh, assuming it's legal at all, and this is being disputed now, <clears throat> it it would be legal as a supplement, which it isn't. It's not supplementing anything. So this is this is people understand this is not a harmless herb. It's a drug. It's a mixture of many psychotropic alkaloid drugs. This is not like taking a calcium supplement. It, there are downsides to it, and um, the safety is really not known. So you can't sell this as a drug. You can't sell it as a supplement. So it's kind of in the middle and no place. Meanwhile, Freedom had gained such popularity um, among these groups of people who had been sort of organizing online. There are Facebook groups um, uh, with tens of thousands of members in them where they discuss sort of how to use it for, for any number of ailments. Um, and they those groups really, really organized once the DEA said that um, they were planning on scheduling Kratom. They really organized and pushed back against it. They wrote letters to senders, um, you know, made calls, went to Washington, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it became sort of a, a big sort of call to arms for, for the communities that were using this who were saying, you know, if you take this away from us, um, we might go back uh, onto heroin or, you know, and, it, you know, fentanyl has been becoming even a bigger problem every year. Um, you know, that, that we could be uh, casualties as a result of your sort of hasty um, policymaking decisions. So the DEA, you know, to their credit, they, they, they paid attention to that, and they decided to punch this over to the FDA and ask them to do a scientific analysis. They, can um, I jump and, in? And provide them with a recommendation. Yeah. Let me ahead. jump in. They had a little nudge in that direction to take pause on that, and they had a nudge from mm -hmm. a prominent politician, didn't they? Yes. So um, Senator Orrin Hatch, who is a known uh, friend of the supplement industry, um, he does get money from the supplement industry and has been um, criticized sort of for, for um, some of his sort of defense of, of botanicals and, and um, alternative therapies in the past. And let's so see. He, he, did, he was one of the people spearheading the, the effort on the... Um, congressman side uh, as far as as far as protecting kratom and he's from utah and the supplemental mm -hmm. industry is pretty big out there right isn't that right yeah yeah so that's sort of the you know where some of his critics will call into question his uh financial incentives um as far as as his sort of blanket defense of of the supplement industry now kratom is not classified as a supplement yet um, Kratom is sort of in this weird space where it hasn't really existed in the U.S. for very long, so it's not um, it's not of the class of herbs and stuff that have been used here for a long time that were sort of grandfathered in um, to, you know, being identified as supplements and having the government sort of keep their hands off of it um, because they're generally recognized as safe, um, but they can't make medical claims, right? So that's, that's our supplements. Are, you know, what, what, uh, the, you know, oh, sorry, you, you were going to say something. Well, I was just going to jump in and say, and because of that, its distribution seems to be kind of, uh, different, really weird. So 
It's it's right. not sold like a supplement, so you can't go into like the GNC and grab it. And no. um, much of it is sold online or mm-hmm. in head shops, right? Yeah. So that's that's one of the weird things about Kratom is because it's not uh, you know officially legal. It's not illegal either. It's sort of just under the radar still right now. Um, and and the feds are sort of deciding which which pile to put it in. Um, in the meantime, there are many, many websites where people are buying this stuff. Um, and like you said, in, in smoke shops, you can find it sort of next to your um, uh, vape supplies and your, your you know, um, e-cigarettes and, and all that stuff. So it's, it's, it's a weird, it's, it falls into a weird space right now. So, so yeah, so it's, it's in this weird space and, um, the FDA, sort of the ball has been in their court um, as far as how to think about Kratom. And um, it has been over the last year, I would say, putting out increasing sort of um, notice, public notices and statements from the FDA chief Scott Gottlieb, making clear that they, um, they think Kratom is dangerous. Um, I should be super clear here because I don't know if I said this before, there are, as of now, no human studies of Kratom. There are um, pharmacological studies, so just looking at the chemistry, like I said before, that it, it does plug into the, the mu opioid receptor, for example. Um, there are also studies, some small handful of studies in animals, um, but there are no studies of Kratom in humans. And so for the FDA, this poses a huge difficulty in terms of allowing it to exist Really in the marketplace when we don't know definitively that it is safe. I wondered why no studies had been done on Kratom. Is it worth us and is it worth our regulators um, taking into account that we have a, a crisis and that we sort of need all the, the tools in our toolbox um, to, to fight that? Um, the thing is that we, you know, Kratom is being used as I wrote the article because it's very clear that Kratom is being used um, in lieu of, of, you know, the the treatment options we do have here in the U.S. that have been demonstrated to work. Um, you know, Suboxone, methadone, methadone, methadone right. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that for some group of people, either those things did not work, they could not get access to it, or for whatever reason, you know, they have turned to to, to Kratom instead. Um, and is that a problem when we don't know um, definitively, we don't have any empirical studies to show whether, you know, long-term use of Kratom is safe, whether Kratom has an addictive potential. One thing we do know is that Kratom does not do what um, all the classical opioids do and what makes them so dangerous, which is um, set off the chain of um, you know, once it does plug into the opioid receptor, set off the, the chain of events that leads to slowed breathing um, and a potential, uh, you know, that, that, that's what causes um, death as a result of an opioid overdose. And Kratom does not do that. So, you know, for, for many of the people who are using it and for some of the scientists who are, who are telling the DEA and the FDA to please hit the brakes so that we have some time to study this stuff, um, you know, they say this, this shows tremendous potential, um, you know, in general for potentially coming up with opioids that are much safer than the ones that we've, we've already, you know, have. 
So um, it, it's a tricky situation because do we leave this open to, you know, some say three to five million Americans are currently using Kratom. Do we leave them, you know, open to being the, the guinea pigs in, in this experiment or do we um, somehow regulate this and move forward in a, in a sort of rigorous um, scientific way to, to see what use Kratom could potentially have um, in, in helping us fight the opioid epidemic in more than a homebrew um, do-it-yourself, um, buy it on the internet and at your bodega kind of way. Another consideration is probably it's addicting properties. I understand mm -hmm. Kratom is addicting. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. So um, it depends who you ask. Uh, if you go in these Facebook groups, um, I, you know, I was in several of them for, for a few months just sort of watching all the posts trickle in every day. And I would say the majority of the posts are people who are new to Kratom and are asking for help. And the community very readily weighs in on, on you know, how to taper off and how to, um, how, you know, to, to take Kratom to, to ease the pain of withdrawals, which is the main sort of effect that it seems to have that is helpful for people who are getting off of, uh, of more addictive opioids. But then there is a small percentage of people who come into these groups and say, hey, like, we can't, we can't hide the fact that Kratom itself um, has some addictive properties that, you know, there have been people who've come in who I've seen who said that they themselves had gotten, um, had formed either like an uncomfortable reliance on Kratom up to an addiction. And that the response to those people is interesting because I think the community is so afraid of Kratom being taken away from them in a federal ban that they sort of self-censor about that part of, of the plant's effect. Um, the people who I talked to who did have um, what they described as an addiction to Kratom um, were very open about the fact that it did not compare at all to their addiction to other opioids or alcohol or benzodiazepines, that it, um, it did not um, make their lives spiral out of control. They were still cognitively um, there and able to function and hold down their jobs, but they also were realizing that they were forming an uncontrollable habit. Um, and that that either manifested itself in being sort of secretive about their use or um, taking it just with such high frequency that it also cost them a lot of money. Um, so, and that then when they tried to stop the Kratom cold turkey, that it, um, it did come with its own set of withdrawal effects that were not like opioid withdrawal where, you know, people are puking and have diarrhea and have intense and body pain and, um, the, you know, all the, the horrible symptoms we've all heard of that drive people back to opioids, it sounds like Kratom does not have that severe of withdrawal symptoms, but it does have, um, it does have enough of symptoms that people felt very uncomfortable and realized that, you know, they had essentially substituted one thing for another. And I think the thing that I've heard from you know, in presenting that information to various people who, who are studying Kratom, they, it, it seems the consensus is, yeah, that, we, you know, we, we need to learn more about that part of it, for sure. Um, it, is, it is something we don't understand is what 
uh, you know, what long-term use of this stuff looks like because, you know, that the population that's been self-treating with this stuff in the U.S. is still pretty new to it. Um, but is this overall a harm reduction if, if we're looking at the fact that Kratom, um, you know, at its worst does, has this effect that it cannot um, kill people for, from what we can tell, um, that it, uh, it does keep people away from more dangerous substances, um, even if they should be on, you know, a medically sanctioned um, evidence-based treatment option, if they're on this instead of, of you know, using heroin and potentially fentanyl, is that a harm reduction? And I think the consensus is um, yes for now. I'm not sure that any um, scientists or doctors want us to stay in this place, um, but I think that that is the, the, the general feeling that I've gotten from the people that I've talked to about it. Next, Dr. Bloom shares with me why he had a change of heart on Kratom in 2017. Well, the, the reason I wrote the, the first article is because it is risky. This is not a safe herb. This is a, a psychotropic drug with multiple compounds in it. Uh, so Kratom is as risky as it ever was, but the risk of not taking it became greater because the alternative is fentanyl. So no matter what, whatever they turn up uh, in safety studies on Kratom, it's not going to be anything near um, instantaneous death from getting an uh, overdose of fentanyl. So I guess what I'm endorsing is sort of a pharmaceutical civil disobedience in that um, I would, I can't scientifically back the use of Kratom uh, in an isolated case. But I can, um, I can back it as an alternative to what's going to be a, a, a sure death. So at the end of the day, you uh, state that this is the quintessential example of pick your poison. But here, even though there are no good solutions, the answer is obvious. Kratom's risky. Fentanyl is a death sentence. This one's a no-brainer. For sure. People go online and they begin talking to one another and getting advice in terms of, uh, in terms of using this and dosage, I guess. You know, you, you'd mm-hmm. think that when you purchase this, it would come with explicit instructions in terms of the dosage, but I understand that is not the case. It's very much an art form. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not, um, you know, that's another thing that um, is unknown about it is there, it, it's, you know, it's not produced by, by a drug company that's telling you to take two of these um, a day. It's, it's, people buying um, usually a kilogram at a time of uh, green powder. And there are different strains that have sort of different effects, some, some more energizing, some more um, pain relieving. But um, that is why I think the, the groups form such a um, distinct function for, for this community is that they can sort of figure out, they can share information and figure out dosing and stuff like that. 
the thing is that it for in large part I have not seen people talking about that being used to um, to get high or to get really um, just good feeling. It seems mostly be talked about to get rid of a bad feeling. You begin your article with an interview of Courtney True, who has struggled with heroin addiction since uh, she was very, very young. In fact, she started Mm -hmm. using opioids at the age of 14, I understand. And she's now 41 years old, and Mm -hmm. she's made an astounding rebound that she credits partially to Kratom. Why did you select uh, Courtney? Uh, to help tell this story? It was actually an accident. I, um, you know, I, I had met Courtney through some of the other sources that I talked to for the story. Um, and she just, I really appreciated how um, strong of a grasp she had over her own story. You know, she saw the points at which um, she faltered and was able to articulate that so clearly. Um, she also was not, um, you know, she's she's actually a medical professional. She's um, a registered nurse. She's worked in recovery. She has a very good understanding of what these drugs did to her for a very long time um, and what Kratom has done for her uh, since she started using it two years ago. Um, and, you know, also is, realistic about maybe the limitations of that. Um, so I, I, you know, she was not an evangelist. Um, she, she was realistic and really, really open about her life. So she was sort of the perfect person to, to focus on for this. The other thing is that, um, Courtney existed, exists in a family in which Kratom has, has totally changed her, her whole family's lives. So, um, her husband, um, her second husband, uh, John Wilson Hume, he is also a recovering uh, heroin addict. I think he's on OxyContin for something like 20 years um, for various pain issues. Uh, and his son, uh, Jeff, is also um, now in recovery. He's sort of newer to Kratom. He's in his fourth month now um, of, of um, recovery using Kratom as, long, as well as cannabis to, to um, you know, help him along his way. And so, you know, she had this, she has a family where on their kitchen counter next to the toaster uh, is just, you know, little mason jars full of, um, of Kratom and they all drink it at various times of the day and, and have stayed um, away from the stuff that, you know, was bound to kill them um, for, for various lengths of time. So it was, and they were all very open to talking about that with me. So they were great, um, great people to focus on for the story. Once again, from my discussions with Courtney True, I asked her to share with us why Kratom was so important for her recovery. Using is just no longer an option for me, and I feel like in my personal experience, Kratom's a big part of that. Um, I never saw me living a life without alcohol either, like not even talk about opiates. I figured I would always be a drinker because it's something I enjoyed very much, even though it wasn't great for me. I have not had a single craving for any alcohol in the past 18 months. I want to just talk briefly about, uh, you know, um, Kratom has gained popularity and it has this big online following and people are passionate about it. Um, mm-hmm. So you'd think that you would have more rehab facilities that would adopt that and would embrace it. But yet there's only one in the whole country and you found them. Speak to that. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, they, this is a, a new facility that opened in March called Greener Pastures. Uh, it's in Portland, Maine, uh, close to Courtney's house, actually. Um, and Courtney is now doing some work with them. Um, so they are um, a sort of different rehab in that they do not take uh, an abstinence-based approach. They take a harm reduction approach. So they um, use, uh, they allow any clients who are staying with them to smoke weed and also take Kratom um, to help them through their withdrawals. And it's usually in a 30-day program. Um, I believe that they might open that up to people who want to stay for longer periods of time. Um, but they have drawn some criticism. Uh, you know, addiction specialists who I spoke to um, who do use the standard um, MAT um, options, such as Suboxone, uh, say that, you know, this is irresponsible of um, providers to tout something that is, as of yet, not evidence-based. Um, if you turn then to um, Roxanne and Ron, who run um, who run Greener Pastures, they say, you know, we are uh, we are helping people through um, with something that we we have seen works. Next, Azin talked about the drug culture reputation that Kratom has. Yeah, I mean, I think I I thought a lot about this in writing this piece, like how much of um, how much of the, the sort of reputational stuff that um, Kratom is going through right now is, is sort of in parallel to how we've thought about um, cannabis or weed in, in the U.S. and its medicinal use, right? It's, it's always been dogged by um, the sort of reputation that it is, you know, druggy and a bunch of donors, you know, doing whatever. And I think that was very hard for the the medical community to then push forward the idea that this had legitimate uses, legitimate medical applications. Um, and that's why, uh, you know, Reefer Madness, the, the sort of art headline on our, our story was Leafer Madness. And that's actually something that Ron at Greener Pastures um, said to me, you know, in terms of just the, the how easy it is to sensationalize Kratom and to, to sort of um, worry about, you know, is this the new opioid on the street? Um, the, the headlines and the sort of some of the, the language that's being used by the FDA, um, is it very easy to jump to um, panic and sort of this is the new um, legal high? And a lot of blame is, is put at the feet of the pharmaceutical companies and um, and the FDA, frankly, uh, for for causing this the, the epidemic that we have found ourselves in, and I think this community in general, I found, was very um, mistrusting of of the government's intent because of the situation we found ourselves in, and I think um, they sometimes prone to sort of conspiratorial thinking about you know how why the FDA is taking such a strong on Kratom um, and whether that has anything to do with, uh, with the pharmaceutical um, the pharmaceutical companies not being able to, to make money off of it. You know, harm reduction is still a fairly new concept in the U.S. Um, and not uh, and contra- controversial for some groups of people. Um, we have to ask ourselves whether we believe that is um, 
is a step up from, from the other scenario we might find ourselves in, which is, you know, people who potentially go back um, on, on more dangerous opioids. We've been visiting today with Hazine Gureshi, who is the BuzzFeed news reporter on science and health, who wrote an in-depth article on Kratom titled, Meet the Kratom Warriors Who Say This Plant Will End the Opioid Epidemic. Tune in next time when we profile Courtney True, who gives Kratom much of the credit for 18 months of sobriety after struggling with opioid addiction for the better part of 27 years. My name is Greg McNeil. I'm the founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for joining us for this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's people, places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.